When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Buenos dias, chicas y chicos. Uh, hello and welcome, a very warm welcome to the Joy of Paddle podcast. Spreading and sharing the supreme delight of this wonderful and fast-growing game. I'm your host, Minter Dial, and this podcast is brought to you by Paddle 1969, the largest manufacturer of premium paddle courts, One Court for Life by Paddle 1969. The Joy of Paddle is part of the Evergreen Podcast Network. For more information about the network, go ahead and check out evergreenpodcast.com. So this is the inaugural season of the Joy of Paddle podcast. And to start with, we're going to do an episode once every fortnight. Episodes will drop every other Wednesday at 12 noon London time. Please let us know what you think about the show by putting up a rating and review. So for this 11th episode of the Joy of Paddle podcast, it's with Elena Martin Ortiz, commonly known as Elena Martin, who is an accomplished paddle player and was highly ranked in the predecessor to the World Paddle Tour, the Opel Paddle Tour. Elena has represented and won with Catalonia in the Spanish Team Championships. She is also a senior manager at Monitor Deloitte, the multinational strategy consulting practice of Deloitte Consulting. In this conversation with Elena, we discuss her life as a paddle player, her best shots and funniest moments, we also discuss the state of paddle worldwide, the unique Swedish case, and the global prospects for paddle, and much more. A really intriguing and exciting exchange. Vamos! Elena Martin Ortiz. I know you go by Elena Martin. Great to have you on the joy of paddle. You are a wonderful person. I've been so excited to have you on. In your own words, um, Elena, who are you? Very happy to be here. I was very much looking forward to to this uh, podcast, uh, Minter. Uh, I am a professional uh, in, in the sports industry and also a tennis and paddle player. Well, you also happen to work at Deloitte, uh, right? And uh, we'll get into that a little bit afterwards. But let's start talking about your route to paddle, Elena. Naturally, since you come with a little accent, probably happened in Spain. Yes, it did. <laughs> um, so I started playing tennis, uh, not a very young age, but something like 10 years old. And then three years later, uh, a couple of paddle courts were built in my club that uh, was back in the beginning of the 90s. So uh, my mom started to play and she said, hey, why don't you try? So I started taking some lessons. So I would play tennis. And on top of that, I played paddle at the same time. I mean, uh, I played paddle a couple of days. I played tennis a couple other days. Um, I was not uh, like a very successful tennis player. I was okay, but I was not uh, at all 
at the best in my country or my region even. And when I started playing paddle, my my coach, she, she suggested I should go to the Spain championship uh, under 16. I was 15 at the time. So I went and I made it to semifinals, which was like, wow, whoa, I was made for this. Uh, being honest, uh, I think I was okay. I was good, but probably uh, the little competition had uh, a lot to do with that compared to my success uh, in tennis tournaments. Mm. And and I assume it's always the or it's of course going to be a question of your partner, how you get along, how well you play together, and and sometimes the draw is favorable, not so favorable. But in any event, this obviously set you along. And and what was the discussion with your parents at this point? You're like, Mama, Papa, I want to go. I want to play paddle. Like, but tennis was, is a more noble sport. What is this paddle thing? No, they were so happy with that. I mean, uh, paddle offered me. It all went quite fast. Because of making these uh, uh, semifinals, I got uh, um, like a scholarship from the Spanish Federation. It was not, I mean, it was not a big deal, but uh, it told something, right? Um, so I started playing paddle more and more and playing tennis less and less until when I was 18 or maybe 17 already, uh, I stopped uh, playing tennis and only trained paddle. I trained uh, five, six uh, days a week. Um, I had my my uh, trainings at the club, and one or two days I can't recall now where with uh, so the ones that were um, done by the federation, so that were controlled and uh, sponsored by the Spanish federation. And then I started uh, playing tournaments not only in my region, but I I started traveling. Uh, at the point, there was this this uh, tour called Opel Paddle Tour, which was uh, the precedent for the World Paddle Tour, and so I started playing that. Um, it was it was strange because the sport was so underdeveloped, I would say, that the in the draw there were professional players, but. There were only, oh, oh, sorry, also people like me who are not professionals. I was studying and slash afterwards uh, working at the same time. And I would, uh, let's say, do both things. Which is very common, for example, today in Britain. The, the majority of the people who play very good level play a lot of tournaments. <laughs> they're bankers or they're, you know, they're, they're doing what they can to make money. Because as the as the sport grows up, the, the winnings aren't there yet. But you obviously you made a lot of success. You won lots of uh, team events uh, at the Catalonia, the Spanish team championships with the Real Club de Polo, and uh, and you got really good at it. And I'm wondering, you know, for you like me, I I played a fairly good level of tennis in my youth, and I ha- I have this narrative around how paddle and tennis are are complementary. I'm wondering to what extent do you think paddle helps your tennis? And because we always talk about how tennis can help with paddle at the net, but not at the wall. But what about the reverse paddle to tennis? It has helped me a lot. Um, so here in Spain, we play a lot. Uh, we play clay, basically tennis. In my cor- in my in my club, we have thirty uh, something tennis courts, of which one is um, hardcore and the rest are clay. So we are not volley players. 
So what now when I play, now I play Masters, when I play Masters, I'm very good at the volley because I have played ball for so long. And a lot of my, uh, the people I play against, they say, oh, you have a lot of resources because you can play drop shot, you can play in the volley, you have a very good smash from anywhere in the in the court. And that's that I developed 100% in, in paddle. People who have developed themselves playing clay, they're very good at the back of the, so at the end of the, of the court. I mean, you can see Rafa. Uh, he barely um, goes to the net, uh, whereas having played paddle, I'm very uh, self-confident in the net. It's amazing. I totally agree with you. I mean, I, I end up doing a lot. I even do a lot more chiquitas. I, I will do a, a many sort of half-court lobs over if they're at the net. I want to come over, beat them up with that. And, and um, I feel very, very much more nice wily. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, it's fun. Well, so, hey, listen, that's the complementarity of these sports. Um, so how would you describe your side of play uh, today, these days, Elena? You know what? In paddle, I'm a very, I would say, conservative, defensive player. So I can hit in 1,000 balls. I would, so uh, my opponents would like freak out, mm. meaning like, how did you oh, get that? Oh, not again. Oh, yeah, damn. Yeah. yeah. Uh, and I was very proud of that style because it, it needs uh, to be very tough in terms of mind and, and, and be very uh, concentrated, I would say. But you know what? This hasn't translated into my tennis. So I'm uh, very poor at hitting again and again in tennis. Like, I need to be hmm. very aggressive. I don't know why, but uh, in part... Well, te tennis is by nature aggressive because yeah. you, you, you need to push it through the other person. Whereas paddle, you got the wall behind you. <laughs> La pared <laughs> es su amiga. Right? Yeah, exactly, exactly. Um, when I was 18 or 19, I was uh, sponsored by Dunlop. Um, and they did these, like, flyers, like these cards that you would give away in tournaments. I mean, no one wanted my, my cards, right? Because they were um, better players, I mean, professional players. But still, I had my cards. And That's at the back exciting. Of the, yeah. Uh, I sent you a picture of that previous uh, um, to the to the call, and at the back of the of the card, they were asking, "What is your favorite? Um, how do you say your favorite uh, hit? You say you call shot. it like that shot? Yeah, what is your favorite shot?" And I said, "The lobby." And my friends were saying, "How the hell can you be proud of of?" The, I said, "Hey, I'm very good at doing lobbies, like." I go over everyone, like I throw them this distance to the wall. I love it. Well, you know, I, I, I've i had on my show Gabo Loredo, and Gabo said that's his best shot. That's his favorite shot. And I think uh, smart paddle players know. I mean, Martin Dineno, for example. I mean, yep. his, his lobbing ability. I mean, of course, there are many great lobbers, but he's he's very tranquil. And, and they just keep on landing between the service line and the wall and and what are you going to do with it? You know, um, yeah. that's that's fun stuff. If you had to describe yourself as an animal on the court, then who, what animal would Elena be on the paddle court? Oh, that's difficult. That's a difficult one. Um, I would say something like an ant or a squirrel. Like a <laughs> right. Or, right. Right. 
I love it. I love it. Very original. <laughs> and uh, what about a tiger or something like right, this? Right, right, right. Those let that let that you play on the right. I'm guessing. I do. I do. Yeah. I play on the right, and I usually play with um, let's say aggressive or yeah uh, players. And what I love best, I I get along very well. Some uh, I have I have had very few partners, and I love it when I do like a chiquita from the right to the right, and then. Uh, they um like they have to return it a little bit up, and then my pop. colleagues pop wins the point. It's like that's my my best um mm, like hit or or, or right. um play tactic. I I I like to say I'm the one of the one two punch. So I get the one in. I make it a little bit difficult, make something happen, and then they pop it up, and number two. <laughs> Excellent. So um, what about a shot that you like to improve? What what shot do you work on that you feel like you could do better with? Um, I can't do the vibra. I think it's a modern shot that I was never taught. Mm. And the ball bounces that fast. when I, So mm. my opponents do that. It bounces that fast that I think it will help me uh, a lot. And not sure if you do it from the right. I'm think I'm just thinking. You probably do it only from the from the left, so from the. You do mostly from the left, but you can still do it. You could absolutely. I mean, I still try to do it. That's for sure. On the right, pop it into the back glass, last glass, or yeah. sometimes even down the middle. Um, and what about I have, you? I have I have also learned to hit it hard. When I was younger, my hard hit, uh, so bouncing back, was not so good. But because people were fast. Now that I'm a master's, my my heartbeat is quite okay because they don't run that fast. Nice. Um, you you obviously know many people in the paddle world. You have many friends who are pros. Mm -hmm. Um, but notwithstanding your friends, who would you say are your favorite players in the female and male sides? Uh in females, um Alejandra. Alejandra Salazar. Alejandra Salazar, yes. She's also a friend. I wouldn't say like best friend, but she's she she, she used to be a friend too. Um I love so I think all the players have all the things. Like there's uh, Ari, uh there's um Paulita Dinamita, uh Triai. I do like all of them very much, but I think Alejandra is she's so mature, she's so self-confident, she's always like so constant no mistakes um she may not be as brilliant as some others but i love how constant and and um consistent she is mm -hmm. and as for the guys uh i like arturo Coelho very much um i think it's sort of both, the lefty yeah both both the guys who have played uh with bella in the last uh previous um seasons uh, I think they both learned the best uh, from Bella. I'm good friends with with him, and mm -hmm. he has this uh, purpose of teaching and helping uh, the younger uh, players. So it's like it's like a win-win, right? He has this um, aim of developing uh, young players at the at the age and the stage that he is, and he can get benefited from that because they have the power that he doesn't have at this point. 
And I think they both learned a lot of uh, what he taught in the year, year and a half that they that they played uh, with Bella. They got the they got the very good things that he has, and developed into their own skills, which made it like impressive. Indeed. Well, I've had the pleasure of having Mike on my show. Uh, okay. Chris, because he speaks English, that helps. Um, and uh, you, so you, you know a lot of players maybe your anecdote couldn't come from uh, others but what's your funniest thing that's ever happened to you around paddle do you want to be that do you want to know i played a final uh, of the one of the tournaments that we had it was not it wasn't it was not a open paddle tour it was a let's say not so um, uh, prestigious high, or... yeah prestigious tournament but it was a final it was uh, like a good event and I'm um, warming up, and there's a ball that, um, so my opponent hits the net, and it stays on her side. So mm -hmm. I go over the, the net to get the ball, and I broke the net. <sighs> like, warming up, people, like, starting to sit on the, there was, there was right, the, right. the seats and everything, because it was already quite, I mean, it was quite developed uh, at the point, uh, the sport here. So all people with their with their entrances and getting into their seats and like I broke the net. It got like um, uh, Mamma Mia! It took like fifteen or twenty minutes to put it back in place. Like, and like, I bet I felt like an hour, right? <laughs> so like, embarrassing! So embarrassing! I'm never, never, ever uh, going for the ball over the net again. Well, in in the realm of sharing, then Elena, the, this reminds me of one time when. Crossing over in a friendly match, I went to cross over and put my leg over. <laughs> and I caught my right leg, which was the trailing leg, and I just fell flat on my face and I, I oh. had blood on my hand. I mean, I, I, how do you do that sort of thing, right? It's not even a very high net, but stuff like that. Um, Elena, you play a lot of paddle. You have a lot of great, great friends in, in, uh, in the paddle world. What is the life lesson that you feel that Paddle has brought to you? I always uh, tell this story in the um, when I have when I had uh, job interviews. So um, I haven't I haven't had to experience a lot of effort in my in undergrad or graduate studies. Um, I was. I did engineering, I was good at math, so it was kind of practicing. But um, what I learned from Paddle is that when I started, sorry to go back, when I started, I was not the most talented uh, player. Um, I'm not the one, uh, as I explained with Alejandra, I'm not the one who's doing these, I don't know, um, like Gemma's uh, drop shot, or I'm not that kind of, of, of girl. I'm Magic. I'm, I don't have a lot of magic, sorry to say. Uh, but I learned that by training more and by devoting a lot of time, being very consistent, very focused, concentrated, I could play better than people that started from a better position than I uh, did. Mm. So I learned a lot about being tenacious, uh, constant, um, not like you lose a match, it's okay. Just keep up training again and again and again. I love it. Well, I and think tenacious, yeah, tenaciousness, good training, 
and uh, and keep the confidence because you see some other showboaters and you're like, oh my god, how do they do that? It's beyond our capabilities. I'm like you. I'm not. I'm not overly, you know, meravelloso with my shots, but I, I consider this idea of always stay, always learning, always keep in the mode of learning. How can I do better? And as we get older, of course, <laughs> we have to deal with yeah. that. And also try to um, leverage what you can do. I'm playing against younger players and I see they have this impressive power and their vibora that I can't do. But if you play a slow ball in the corner uh, with a lot of slice and then they, they, they struggle to, to get it out from there. So it's like try to play your weapons um, intelligently. And so power is not everything. Fortunately for us, Elena. Um, all right, so let's let's um, now move into your work at Deloitte mm -hmm. because obviously you're uh, working in a very serious, large organization. And it was quite a surprise to me when Deloitte came out with a paddle tennis report. I guess the first one was two years ago, three years ago. Yep. I'm not sure, three but um, I mean, what 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 was the story going on in behind the doors as to making a report on this new game called Paddle? I mean, uh, Deloitte not being Spanish. I mean, generally speaking, mm -hmm. um, you, you you imagine the sort of the worldwide Deloitte office saying, "What uh, is this game? Are you paddleboard?" Uh, Platform tennis, pop tennis, pickleball. What is this? No, it's battle. Tell us how we, it came around. We we have uh, we have some independence in the in the country, so there's some decisions we can make. And it happened the following way. Uh, I had met some partners, and so I have some relationships uh, within Deloitte who play paddle. And actually, I met some male partners who wanted to compete in a, in a company company uh, competition and they needed to have females. So basically they cherry-picked females who, who could play, right? So I met Naturally. this group of guys and one of them got approached by Playtomic because they knew each other from somewhere else. And uh, Playtomic had this idea of, because there's no single institution that gives figures about paddle, such as uh, FIFA that's for soccer or ITF that's uh, in tennis. And so they wanted to position themselves as the place to be, uh, the place to go uh, for paddle figures. And they told this to, to this guy. This guy knew that I had played before, etc. So he proposed to me. Within my, my, my business group, um, we decided to do that because it's been after after the pandemic. It's not being easy for in, in general for consulting firms or professional uh, services firms uh, to hire because people are more into the mood of startuping and so cooler jobs, right? And so we thought um, we thought that um, this could help us position uh, consulting as a cooler um, job because we're doing we're in this this hyping uh, sector. Um, so we decided to do the, the report uh, with Playtomic. And, and that's how it, um, it all happened. We did this first report. We had uh, quite some success. 
and we have done some works and deals, uh, meaning professional um, uh, paid deals uh, after the first report. So I got a lot of insight and a lot of information after the first report. And then the second report was just very natural. It was pretty easy because- Update. It, yeah, and, and I had all the information because I had been in touch with uh, a lot of, of people after the first report. So that's what it, yeah. it, uh, it uh, came up. Well, I love that. So in this, there's the, the notion of helping for recruitment, the image of Deloitte, making it feel young and cool. And, and then there's also even the reality of possibly making business, consulting, helping partners, investors figure out how to, where to, how to build clubs and, and make money out of it. Makes a lot of sense to me. And, and the relationship with Platonic, oh, of course, is interesting too. Yeah, sorry but, uh, to interrupt you. That the, um, the second part, the commercial part and being in touch with the institutions and helping with business was a consequence. But we, I, I, honestly, I didn't think uh, of that when we produced the first uh, report. It, it was so surprising to me, though it seems obvious uh, now in hindsight. Um, yeah, and we have a very good relationship with Platonic. I think it uh, the reports have proven uh, very useful and successful for both of us. So uh, the relationship has, uh, I mean, it's very natural. And so when does the 2024 one come out? Uh, we haven't spoken about this yet, so I, I need to catch up with them. But probably beginning of next year, that's what we usually do. Fabulous. So um, in the report 2023, uh, which I'm hoping you'll find out, you'll be able to help us uh, others to to get a copy of um, who are interested. You talk about obviously the, the, the lay of the land, how many countries are growing. Uh, and uh, what, so one of the highlights in the report, latest report is about Sweden, of course, because Sweden has this spectacular growth. And, and as the report identifies, and I thought that was really interesting, that it was it's a unique reasons for its specifically hyperbolic growth related mm -hmm. to the pandemic, uh, Ibramovic, uh, the, or the football player and all that. How do you think Sweden's going to pan out now that it's sort of, we see tapering down and some clubs closing? I think um, what happened in Sweden is that the uh, supply of courts um so offer um went over uh, the expected long-term demand of the country because of these specific um circumstances that you just explained so clubs will close and they will continue closing i don't think there's much more to come uh in terms of closures but it will it will stabilize at the rate uh, that it should have um, stabilized if it hadn't been for the circumstances. So mm. we, in the report and, um, and in the, the, the jobs that we've done, we have calculated like a penetration rate, meaning uh, how many how many people uh, can play paddle in a country. And that depends uh, mostly on the penetration of tennis uh, sports. Of So... On the, the culture of sports of the country, more specifically the penetration of uh, racket sports in the country, 
uh, then um, like economic situation, meaning you need to have to, to be over a certain threshold to be able to um, uh, afford it. Afford it, yes. And uh, the availability and price of land. Uh, and that comes in uh, from the supply side, because if land is very expensive, for example, I don't know, in Paris or in London, it's more difficult for Palacours to develop there. So it's a profitable business, but uh, depending on the how much is, uh, people is uh, willing to spend in a, in, a, in a match and how much the land is costing, then uh, numbers uh, don't uh, even out or you can get, make a you can't make a profit. So the supply of courts is lower. So would you say that if you're looking at a city and you want to bring paddle to it, and let's say you have an economically favorable situation, you have a good sporting legacy of, of racket sports, would you would you think that the argument with a tennis club is to eliminate a couple of courts in a bubble and put in four or five paddle courts in there? Is that going to be more profitable for them? The issue, of course, is, oh, well, we don't want paddle here kind of thing with the existing members. But how does it work economically for a club that is tennis that's thinking of expanding to paddle? So in ter- economically, in terms of uh, economics, uh, it pays out. Why? Because in the surface that you have uh, two tennis players, you can fit up to 12 uh public players it depends on the on the um, on the size of the tennis court because i mean the lines sure are uh what it what they are but uh the margins uh so you can either fit two or three uh public courts so you could fit eight or 12 players so uh i mean mm, being if, if everyone paid the same numbers uh are very uh, telling um the other thing about um, having these players who don't want paddle and so, if you have a club that is large enough, and I would say large is 10 courts, you will have people who will fill in those paddle courts and getting, uh, so changing those two tennis courts for, uh, or, or one tennis court. Uh, for three paddle courts or two, um, is going to be fine for the for the tennis players. Usually, there are some people like you or me who play both, but people who are good at tennis and they're in uh, in a very good um, form and they they play regularly and so, they are not the first one to move uh, into paddle because at the beginning it is uh, they they move less. The, the distance is very short, so they feel like they, they're not doing as much as, as much sport. But there's a lot of people who are not playing tennis because um, tennis is much more difficult technically because the, the, like the racket, uh, you, you need to hit the ball further uh, from your hand. So yes, two, uh, it's two meters away, basically. So the further you hit the, the, the ball from the hand, it's more difficult. So. Table tennis is easier than paddle. Paddle is easier than than tennis, and, and so there's some there's some people who are either they're not so fit, or they they technically can't afford to play to play tennis, and they will get into paddle. And it's also very social. There's in my in my club, for example, I would say 
70% of the people who are playing paddle are women. And because they go, they bring their kids to tennis lessons or something, and they get together instead of having coffee and chatting. They play paddle and they chat because you're so close to the other one. And at least they're doing some sport. Some may argue that it's not as uh, hard or as um, uh, requiring as a, a sport as tennis, which maybe, I mean, it's something we could uh, discuss. But at least these people are doing some sports, which we, they wouldn't do if they only had the, the opportunity to play tennis. Well, I, I wonder, so the socialization, the, the number of players on the court, whether you can charge the same amount is, is one thing. But for, for sure, what that means is that you have 12 people who can go buy beers in the club bar afterwards, and that has to be profitable. Um, and I'm wondering, and listening to Elena, how many, because of the social nature, as both of us know about the game, how many paddle love affairs uh, sprout because of you know meeting on the paddle court? Because it is such a social environment. I can tell you one very fun story. Uh, let me first address your, your question. Uh, I honestly, I don't think it's so like love affairs like come out from a from a paddle match, but in my case, for example, you met someone uh, I don't know, at a gathering or at a bar or a pub or something, and if you have the same interests, you'd say, oh, why don't we play next week? And so you get together and you play me, my friend, him, his friend, and you have a beer or a, or a Coca-Cola afterwards, and so you start uh, um meeting each other uh so i used to do that when i was young a lot and uh because you you, you share the same interests right and and the fun story i wanted to tell you is um i knew uh so i knew bella fernando Velasteguin, uh because i used to play this opel uh, paddle court uh, sorry opel um opel tool um i i was like something like 22 or so 21 and he was 24, and he came to my club. Uh, we had um, a competition there from this Opel, Opel Tour, and he was so he was expecting to make it to the final, but he lost in semi-final. So that was Saturday evening, and he called and I said, oh, I'm so upset, and we lost, blah, blah, blah. How did you see the match? And by the way, I mean, we have our hotel till tomorrow, and we have our flight tomorrow. Do you have anything to do? And I said, uh, not really. So let's do something. So I called my best friend and we went out for dinner. Belastin, his um, partner, uh, I think it was Lima at the time, my best friend and me. And so they have ended up uh, marrying uh, each Aww. other. Yeah, so. A paddle love affair. <laughs> well, a paddle related love affair. That's just gorgeous, Elena. Um, last uh, zone I just wanted to talk about. Uh, so upcoming in the report, you you talk about India and China, there's the yeah. potential for them. It feels like they're still very far away. It's not like they have a tennis culture, really. They're not, the economic climate in India is exactly, you know, wealthy like in Sweden or something. But give us an idea. Do you think it's three or five years before we can start seeing numbers in India and China? Uh, that's a very tough question. Uh to start with, um, I don't think it's going to be three years. I would mm. uh, aim more five years. And I think India will come a little bit 
earlier uh, in time that, than China. The, the Indian government has this, um, there's like a regulation or something for the federation uh, for which you need to have at least one court in every one of the states in order to be considered for a national federation. So there's already a group that is uh, like investing in having one court in each of the states to have uh, a national federation. Mm. So I think this is going to, um, so this regulation or this uh, norm, I would say, is going to help uh, the sport to develop faster in India. I mean, it's not booming, right? When I mean right. faster, uh, relative relative terms. Uh, but being that it needs to be developed in all of the areas at the same time will uh, necessarily grow the, the number of courts that there are in the country. Mm. And uh, Olympics in 2032? Well, Olympics, uh, Olympics in the horizon for me is the hot topic. Uh, there's a number of requirements that, that you need to, to accomplish in order to be Olympic. And as far as I know, and I think that will be the toughest part, um, since a couple of years, uh, you need to... So there's a maximum of uh, summer Olympic sports that can be held, meaning you will have... So uh, you will have to take out some sport in order for paddle to make it in, which for me will be the toughest part. Probably there's some minority sports that can be, but I mean, there's an existing relationship, existing programs in the countries. So to me, that would be the the key uh, to make it um, Olympic in, in 32. Yeah, well, like you, we say in strategy, or in French, we say, choisir, c'est renoncer. We'll have to make choices, and uh, that will be the way. Elena, it has been a tremendous pleasure chatting with you. I love talking about Paddle and the future of Paddle, which is so bright. How can someone gather more about Paddle from what you do with your work and maybe even follow you as a Paddle aficionado? As a Paddle aficionado, I don't think they want to follow me at this point. Oh, well, I certainly want to play with you, Elena. Sure, we'll make it. Either you come to Spain or I'll go, I'll go to London. And uh, as for the report, we always uh, we always have them in the Playtomic uh, website. Um, or anyone can uh, download them on. Uh, um, they, they need to include their email just for follow up purposes, but it's uh, for free. It's a free download, uh, mm-hmm. open in the Playtomic website. So Perfect. maybe you can you can add uh, the link in your in your podcast notes or something. Por supuesto, of course. Hey, listen, Elena, muchas gracias. Vamos. It has been so much fun. So I hope you've enjoyed this joy of paddle episode. Please don't forget to subscribe to be the first in queue for the next episode. And if you like what you hear, please do share around with other paddle aficionados. This is a sport that deserves to be played by absolutely everyone. And if you've got a story that you'd like to share, please send me an email or, a, better yet, a voice note at nmintadial at gmail.com. With that, thanks for listening and see you on the next episode of The Joy of Paddle Podcast. Vamos! Have you ever wanted to know how to win a Formula One Grand Prix? 
I mean really know. Know about the driver tactics from the cockpit, the strategy calls from the pit wall, and even the mind games in the paddock. There's a lot more that goes into winning a Grand Prix than just 90 minutes of racing. So every week on the F1 Strategy Report, we're taking a deep dive into the decisions that shape every result. Hey there, my name is Michael Laminato, and every week I'm joined by an expert guest from the paddock to talk through the big calls that won the race and the missteps that resulted in bitter defeat. Before every race, we'll look back at the previous year's result and consult the current form guide, and we'll be in your feed after every Grand Prix dissecting the the outcome and what it means for the championship. So for your regular hit of Formula One analysis, subscribe to the F1 Strategy Report wherever you get your favourite podcasts. The Strategy Report is a beer mogul podcast on the Evergreen Podcasts Network. My name's Michael Laminato and I'll catch you after the chequered flag.